I was thinking, my wife bought me a pair of slippers. My birthday was a couple weeks ago, and she bought me a pair of slippers for my birthday, and they're so comfortable. They're so great. I told her, I said, do you think it would be inappropriate if I came to church and, and uh, wore, wore my slippers? Yeah. And then my next thought was, maybe I'll just, I wear shorty pajamas. I'll just wear my pajamas and my bathrobe and, and my slippers, just like when I go to Walmart, you know. But I thought better of it because it is, you know, the Halloween season, and people would think that I came uh, dressed for Halloween and was trying to scare everybody with my skinny white legs. So I decided not to do that. I thought better of it. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, I thought of uh, the different, uh, as people got up and shared the different uh, war stories, if I could put them that way, of, uh, of starting a church. My wife and I uh, were in business, and uh, we'd gone to Fairbanks to expand our business in Fairbanks. And while we were up there, we just knew the Lord had us there to... Um, work with a, a brother up there that had a, a church, young church up there, and uh, it, it just wasn't a good fit. It, every time I'd pop up in just who I am, he wouldn't know what to do with that. And I was just, I wasn't trying to be a pastor. I wasn't trying to be anything. I couldn't, see, the, the point I'm going to make there so that I don't forget it is you can't help but be who you are. That's what's important. You cannot help but be who you are, and we'll come back to that in the message. God has made you who you are for a reason. And anyway, I kept popping up, and he didn't know what to do with that. And then we tried to get our kids in a Christian school up there. They were first and second grade. And so we went and met with the pastors of that church that had the Christian school, that many of our friends had their kids in this school. And uh, they said to us, uh, well, the Lord told us not to accept your kids in our school. And I remember leaving there going, what a couple of bozos. Well, many years later, we're at a pastor's conference, and I happened to sit down to lunch with these two brothers. And one of them looked at me and said, so how did you end up pastoring? I said, well, you're partly responsible. We were in Fairbanks, and you told us this, and then along with that, we were renting a house, and out of nowhere, the people said, uh, we're not going to rent you our house any longer. And in the midst of all that, my wife had these friends down here, these ladies down here, that said they kept hearing from the Lord that we were supposed to move to the valley, and, uh, and she was supposed to be the president of their uh, women's club, the Women's Glow. And again, I'm going, what a bunch of bozos. We're living in Fairbanks. Our business is in Anchorage and our business is in Fairbanks. We have nothing in the valley. <clears throat> you know, a few weeks ago, I preached a message where it says, I said, never tell the Lord never. Yeah. <laughs> never say never to the Lord. I had said to my wife, who in their right mind would live in Colorado? I would never do that. Within a year, he had us in Colorado helping a church. I said, well, we don't live in the valley. I'm never going to go there. Uh, within six months, he had us here. And we began a little Bible study in our home. And from there, it just blew up. And then we ended up 
uh, renting a facility for a while, and then we bought this piece of property and, and built this place. It was a lot larger when we first built it. We had one meeting in it. A guy got drunk. He came in a few years ago and confessed this to me all these years. I didn't know what happened. Guy got drunk on Halloween night, went to Palmer, got drunk, was mad at God, came, saw the church, broke into it. He was mad at God. He was mad at us. He was mad at Christians. He was mad at church. He was just mad at everything, and he was drunk. It's one thing to run into a drunk. It's another to run into a mad drunk. Anyway, uh, he broke in and burned our building down. And he came in a few years ago and confessed this to me. Uh, and he also pointed out to me that it was beyond the, the term of you can prosecute for that. What's that? Statute of limitation. Um, and many other things. But the one war story I'm thinking of in particular, uh, we were helping out uh, with the church in Anchorage at the time. Uh, that, that Bob was speaking about and their pastor had left. And uh, so we were kind of going back and forth and also a, a church in Girdwood we were helping with. And during that time, we were absent here a little bit. And it got to be a little strained at one point in time, really strained. And we, we were back here uh, and, uh, and I said, something is not right here. What's going on? And the brothers are all like, eh, you know. Well, there was this one brother that was fairly new, and he'd come from a different mindset about church. Not a wrong mindset. There's many mindsets about church. They're not wrong. They're just different than, than, than our particular philosophy of, of church. And I might get to that. And if I don't, and you're wondering what that is, you can ask me later. But uh, while, I was, while we were absent doing all this other stuff, they had slowly been sown into their thinking that Mark, as the pastor of the church, is not treading out enough corn. Now, there's a scripture about, you know, treading out the corn that the pastor or the shepherd is worthy of his labors, and you should be paying him. And his point was, well, they're never here, so how are they, uh, why are we still paying them? So I, I said, well, let's sit down, guys. Let's figure this out. What's, what's really going on? Well, they all, because we had a relationship, they all kind of looked sheepish. Like, uh, and they all looked to this one brother that had, had been with us a short time. And like I said, come with a different mindset of a pastor is hired for his position. And then yeah. you fire him when you're done with him or, you, you know, whatever. <clears throat> And, and so I said, what's going on? Well, they all looked to this brother, and this brother looked at me, and he says, well, we just don't feel you're treading out enough corn. And I knew exactly what he was talking about, but I would go, what does that mean? He says, well, we don't think you're earning your pay. You're doing all these other things, and that's good, but they should pay you, and we should not be paying you from our church to do those things. And I said, Oh, okay. Sounds good to me. And I looked at him. I said, uh, maybe you'd like to have that place. Maybe you'd like to take that position. And he said, well, <clears throat> well, if the Lord wants. <laughs> you know? And I said, that's fantastic. I've been looking for that. I make 200 a month. 
you start Monday, it's 50 hours a week. And he, he kind of choked. He says, well, I didn't know you only made 200 a month. You see, we were in business, and I, I didn't need any kind of income from the church, you know, bivocational. And as soon as that happened, he kind of went, well, yeah, I, I don't think I can do that. And I thought of even upping it, saying, well, we'll give you 300 a month. But anyway, that's just one of our war stories of how you have to work through things and have a relationship. And I've always kind of had a romantic idea about being an interim pastor. There's just a, a thought about being an interim pastor. An interim pastor comes into a place where the people are like, we need help. Yeah. And you're there for a short time. And this is the life of an interim pastor. And once this was pointed out to me, I decided that's not what I wanted. But I thought it would be fun. I even told my wife, let's, let's just throw our name out there to become interim pastors and we can move around the country and do these things. But you've got to have wisdom in being an interim pastor, and, and that is this. When you first come to a church, they say, oh, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And then after you've been there about a year, they begin to go, by what authority do you speak? And that's when you know to start thinking about your exit, because you want to exit before they say, crucify him. <laughs> well, that's not what I want to talk about. I've got a few minutes to talk about what I've come with on my heart this morning. And, uh, amen. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew or your cell phones, Matthew if you do use your cell phones, please use it to look up the scripture, not to check the score. Or shop for new shoes. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 13, I was sharing with Barry this week. I said, you know, I've been looking at this particular parable for a long time, um, and I think I had it wrong. Isn't the Word of God so amazing? It says that in the beginning was the Word, and then something happened to the Word. The Word became flesh, living, living. It was alive. And when something's alive, it's continually changing. Um, Matthew chapter 13, in verse 44, we're going to start there. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Now picture in your mind, this guy's out, he's looking, obviously looking for increase. He's, he's looking for opportunity. He's looking for, you know, something that will, you know, um, change his life. And in this field, he discovers this treasure. And he hides it. He hid it again. And then he went and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Then Jesus goes on to say, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant 
on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Now, I don't believe Jesus, in all of the things I've ever read, is in the habit of repeating himself too much. And that he's, he's trying to teach something over and over on the same thing. If we look at these, I believe that he's not repeating himself here. I believe he's speaking to two distinct issues. He's talking about himself first. I've always looked at that as like, when I found Jesus, I was so thrilled, the change in my life. I mean, the transformation in my life was so immediate and so dynamic of a change. Uh, for example, I called my parents and told them that night that I gave my life to Jesus. I called them. I never thought of the time difference. We were up here in Alaska, and I'm putting quarters in the payphone. That's how long ago it was. And my mom answers the phone, and there's three hours difference, and I, I just or two hours difference, and I just wasn't thinking about that at the time. So it was like two in the morning there. And, hello, Mom, it's me. Oh, hi, son, what's up? I said, is Dad, is dad up? You know, I got to thinking, it's late there. And uh, put him on the phone, I want to tell you guys something. And, and so they put her on the phone, and they, put, they got on the phone, and I said, I just want to tell you, I got saved tonight. I gave my life to Jesus tonight. I got saved, and it's just silent. My mom says, son, are you in jail again? <laughs> I got thrown in jail when I was in college. That's another story. Anyway, so I've always looked at this as, wow, I found this field, and I'm willing to sell all that I might have Jesus. I got it backwards. That's not what the story's about. It's Jesus said, I found you, and I'm willing to give it all up that I might purchase for myself. It says we've been purchased by a price, a high price, that being the blood of Jesus. He purchased us. Now, the difference here is one is a treasure in a field, and I believe that Jesus here is speaking about the nation and the people of Israel. Think about that. The other one is a, a pearl. It has nothing to do with the field. This is a merchant out looking for pearls. Now, pearls were not of great value to the Jews. They dealt in all kinds of other jewels, but a pearl was not necessarily one of popularity in Israel. It wasn't in demand. Uh, but he's speaking to the Galileans here. He's in Galilee, and he's speaking to the Galileans where there's many merchants, and they would come looking for pearls to take back or to trade or to do whatever. So he's speaking to a different mindset and a different group of people. Now, the difference between the treasure in the field, say it's a gem, a stone, or diamonds, or, or opals, or all of those are things uh, have a different quality to them than a pearl. And pearls are not mentioned anywhere in the Bible except here and in Revelation. Only two times. In Revelation, they are in the gates. 
So the pearl is not formed out of the, the, the earth. The pearl is formed out of being an irritant. It's an oyster that gets a grain of sand or something in there, a foreign object in there, and it's irritating to the oyster, and he begins to cover it and cover it and cover it and develop a pearl. So it's got a whole different aspect to it than a gemstone. And I thought it rather odd that Jesus would be speaking about a pearl, so I did a little research on that, came up with, with this. <clears throat> So God, or Jesus is telling the parable here, he said there's a man, a merchant, he's speaking about himself, that was looking for pearls. And he found one that was far superseded all other pearls. Now think of Jesus being the creator of the universe. And in all the universe, which has universes, galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies, they keep discovering it's, it's bigger than they, you know, every time the science, scientists and, the, and the, the astronomers look into this, they go, wow, it's, it's more vast than we could ever imagine. There could be millions of universes. So here's this merchant, and he's got millions of universes to search throughout. And in it he says, I found a pearl. It's far above everything else. I'm willing. I'm willing to sell all. I'm willing to give up all that I have for this. I believe the irritant was in the beginning we were created by God to have a relationship with him. And the irritant was that we rebelled yeah. against that. We're, we're just a rebellious people. You know, we don't want to have God in our knowledge. We don't want to have God in our thoughts. We want to walk our own ways. We want to live our own path, walk our own path. And he says, but I see a pearl. That's how I was. I walked my own path. I rebelled against everything. My parents taught me well, but I did a lot of things that were not in the keeping with my parents' teachings. I was a product of the late 60s and 70s. So, but in the midst of that, God says, I see you as a pearl. And I believe that pearl is the body of Christ. I believe that pearl is his church. And as his church, it says we are members of that body, members in particular. You have an important part. Now, I'm going to take a little switch from this. Jesus says that he's the vine or the branches. I want to just take a little diversion here. Just imagine, if you will, this Welch's 100% grape juice. Just imagine, if you will, it's actually a fine wine. I would have stopped and got one, but the liquor store wasn't open on the way to church, so. 
Just imagine, if you will, this is a fine wine. Great vintage. July. What does wine have as a relationship? You know, we think of wine as, oh, yeah, vintage, you know. We went out to dinner one time, and these folks ordered up some wine, and the lady says, oh, that's a good wine. uh, She says, uh, it's got a a large nose, and and it's (laughs) full-bodied. The brother says, that was there, says, oh, I thought she was was describing my wife. His wife's anything but that, and they all laughed. But anyway... uh, There's a wine has a relationship with many factors. It says that Jesus gave another parable. He says, A man went out and purchased some land so that he might plant a vineyard. Now, think about that. Think about in relationship to wine, because he's saying so that he could plant a vineyard. Uh, He looks at the soil. He looks at the sun, he looks at the moisture, he looks at the loam, how much bacteria is in the soil, because the bacteria factor in the soil has a lot to do with the taste of the the grape that it produces. So all of this has to do with a relationship. Wine in itself is not just something put in a bottle that has no background. It has tremendous background of relationship with moisture, sun, earth, bacteria in the earth. What, is it sandy? Is it loamy? Is it, is it, where's it at? You know, uh, we were driving through California one time, and as we're going along, we're seeing these vineyards up along this hillside, and then all of a sudden we saw this huge cloud of moisture just rolling over the top and settling. And I looked into that a little bit. That's what made that particular vineyard so effective, is this moisture would come from the ocean and then roll over and settle. Because, see, I don't know if all vines do this, but most, from what I understand, grape vines, vineyard vines, get most of their moisture not from the soil like irrigation, but from up above through the leaves and the, and the coming onto them. So I, I saw a correlation there of like, oh, well, I get a lot of my relationship with God from the Holy Spirit pouring it down upon me. What I want to say about this is Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches bearing fruit. We're the pearl that he saw such value in that he was willing to give up all that he had to purchase it, and he did. We know and understand that Jesus gave up his very life to purchase this field. He gave up his life to purchase you and me. We are more than just a scripted story. I think too many Christians think that their life is just a scripted life, scripted story, and their whole thing is just 
find out well, what it is that God wants them to, to do, what, what it is that, that, that God put in them, and that's what it's all about. No, your scripted story is connected, or your unscripted story, you're, you're more than a scripted story, your story is about relationship. Just like these grapes, their story was about relationship with the soil, with the earth, with the, the, the loam, the, the, the moisture. All of this was relationship to produce a particular bouquet, if you will, or a particular vintage or a particular wine. You're about relationship. Every relationship you enter into and every relationship you develop changes your story. So number one, your relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, your relationship with your brothers and sisters. If you're married, your spouse changes you. My spouse changed me. It's Pastor's Appreciation Day, and I just really appreciate my wife. She's a gem. You know, I got three minutes left. I don't know what I want to say. I'd like to finish the story, but I don't know where it ends. Um, my relationship with those that caught up and spoke, I was like, some of that, I'm like, wow, how wonderful. Like Carla spoke, and she says, do you remember? And I'm like, mm -hmm. after, after the fact, yeah. But we have a lot of interaction, and that's so vital. Your relationship with one another, your relationship with Christ is bringing about the story that he has for you. And it's not prescripted. It's developing. It's living. It's ongoing. A few months ago, I talked about you are your story is still being written to be read by all men. You know, those you encounter, they're reading you. They're watching you. My neighbor, Matt, he says, I watched you. You told me you were a pastor, but I saw you. You're a sinner. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to put on any airs because then they'll be, like, offended. I'm like, this is me. This is what you get. And there's others, if you don't like this, it's okay. I'm not going to be offended by somebody saying, well, I don't like a pastor that gets up and tells this congregation he and his wife had a fight. I had somebody tell me that one year. I got up, I talked about Nancy and I, man, we had this big, huge argument on the way to church. And, you know, I told a story about it. Afterwards, his brother says, we, we don't like that. We don't like it that you have an argument with your wife. You're our pastor. I'm like, all right. And then he went on. He says, my wife and I have never had an argument. <laughs> they were divorced within a year of that statement. And I was like, maybe you should have had an argument. And I know what he was talking about. We want somebody up here 
that we can have as a high standard and look at. You do have somebody up there that's a high standard that you can look at. His name is Jesus. And if you're looking at me instead of him, you're going to be really sorely disappointed. If you're looking at him, if you're not looking at him and you're looking at the church and you're looking at your brothers and sisters that he's saying, I want to draw you into relationship with because this relationship's going to have value to you. This relationship's going to change you. It's going to change the scripting of your life. If you're looking at something other than him and you're just looking at this, you're going to say, man, that guy's not who I thought he was. That sister's not who I thought they were. You can't have a long-term friendship like Barry was saying about mostly, he said. We mostly had a good, uh, something like that. You know, you can't have a friendship without having some rough corners and they come up against one, one another once in a while. And if that's going to make you go, I'm done with that guy, uh, you don't have very good soil that you're growing your life in. Well, I smell that food. I never really, I'm not sure what I, what I said this morning. It's pastor's appreciation. I just encourage you to appreciate it no matter what it said. Yeah, maybe remember one thing out of it. I love that. A lot of times people come up to me and say, man, that was a great message. And I'll say, thank you. What was it that you enjoyed about it? Uh, well, it was good. That's usually my wife. That was good. What did you like specifically? I can't remember, but it was good. Amen. I appreciate relationship. I always have. Vital. I appreciate relationship. I, I remember Vic. I don't remember that exact thing. Hey, little mighty man of God, or mighty man of God, whatever it was I said to him. Little. Little, little mighty man of God. I probably wanted to say something different, like quit making so much noise. Yeah. You know, quit running in the church. Quit jumping down the stairs. But I don't do that, because I think a part of relationship is affirmation. Yeah. Big part of relationship is, is affirmation. You see, back to my story, this is how I'm going to finish it. Praise God. You guys are all happy that I said that. That irritant that was in the oyster, he kept coating it, you know, coating it until it became beautiful. We can do that. We can either focus on the irritant or we can allow the Holy Spirit in our lives to just keep building within that an oyster of, or a, a pearl that becomes very valuable. So a few years ago, I'm going to tell on Vic, a few years ago, after having not seen him for a long time, from being a little kid and telling him a mighty man of God, I run into him at Lowe's, and I said, what are you doing? He said, well, not much. Where are you going to church? Well, we're not. Well, why not? Well, we kind of got, um, I don't want to tell, we kind of got thrown out. I'm a, and I'm I said, that sinner. I said, you need to be in church. Yeah. What'd you get thrown out for? Oh, you know, being kind of rebellious. I said, oh, well, we got room for rebellious people in our church. Until you get that other thing figured out, 
you're welcome to come hang out with us, you know, and he's been here ever since. So let's all stand. He's going to lead us in a song. <laughs>